Welcome to the Thrive Vineyard Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Kevin Kiefer. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit thrivevineyard.com. Morning. Good to see you guys this morning. Glad you're here. Um, have you ever had an awkward religious conversation with somebody? Have you, have you tried that? Just didn't go as smoothly as you were hoping that it might? I have had so many of those conversations. I wish I could, uh, I wish I could tell you all of them. But um, one of my favorite awkward religious conversations was a number of years ago. Um, we had a, a next-door neighbor and uh, the couple, neither one of them were uh, at all Christian. They didn't go to church. They had like really no framework whatsoever for, for faith. Um, and we were, you know, building up a friendship with them. And, uh, it happened that the wife was, uh, something happened in her life and she was going through a really, really rough time. And so I decided that I was just gonna to say, Hey, could I, could I pray for you right now? And, um, and she kind of was like deer in the headlights and she said, um, okay. And so I uh, prayed for God's comfort. I prayed for strength. And I was actually getting into it a little bit. And uh, so I prayed for her. And at the end of uh, the prayer, I just said, amen. And I, I kind of put my hand on her hand. And I said, God bless you. And she looked at me and she goes, God bless America. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, we're doing that, you know. <laughs> She had no idea what to say. This was totally out of her uh, out of her, her realm of comfort, right? But we have been there. If you've been a Christian for very long at all, you've probably tried to share something of your belief or something of your faith with someone, and at probably at the moment that you began to like you know, talk to this person, could you feel the blood rushing into your face, right? Like, all of a sudden, you become incoherent for some reason. You're normally an articulate person, but at that moment, all of the words just seem to go away, and I can't tell you how many times I have walked away, and I'm a pro, right? I have walked away from these conversations going, oh, why did I say that? Like, I don't even know what I said. I can't even remember the conversation 30 seconds after it happened, right? Sharing our faith uh, with people isn't easy. And I, I have often wished that I could just have like a wingman that was like super awesome at it. Just like, get in there, you know, John, go tell them everything that they need to know. Tell them what they're winning, you know? And, uh, and he would just step in and share the gospel and they would go, this is amazing, I want this. And I would just be like, mission's done here, right? That would be amazing, but we don't have that. And so I find myself muddling through conversations with people, and the discomfort has often turned me away. Has that ever happened to you where you kind of felt like you wanted to share something, but you just got uh, uncomfortable, and instead of having the conversation, you ended up not having the conversation. And I wonder, you guys, as followers of Jesus, if if instead of regularly sharing our faith, we end up rarely sharing our faith because we're just not comfortable with the whole thing. And here's the, here's the challenge. Here's the problem is that when we share the gospel with someone, when we share our faith with people, um, 
I don't know if you realize this, but it takes repetition. It takes reinforcement. If we want to um, invite people into a relationship with God, the Holy Spirit takes time to work on their hearts, right? It takes time for them to, to alter the trajectory of their lives. Wouldn't it be interesting, you guys, if like people would just completely change their worldview and change their philosophy of life and everything that they do in a matter of like two minutes? That would be like really, really interesting. I don't know that it would be very good, but that would be an interesting scenario, but it's not how people work at all. It takes sowing. It takes time to just share and to, uh, you know, represent Jesus to them, to answer questions, to pray for them. It's a long, steady process that takes a lot of tenacity. And that makes it difficult. And I wonder, you guys, how many people might have, listen to this, I wonder how many people in our lives might have received the gospel and experienced eternal life, life change forever and ever, were it not for the fact that it was just so much time and energy to to get them there. And so instead of us walking with them in this long process of exploring faith, if we have turned away too too soon, and I'm talking about we in this room and followers of Jesus everywhere, if people never really got the gospel, they never really turned to Christ because there was no one there to be patient and to, to press in and to walk with them in this process. And I know that grieves me and it certainly must grieve the Lord, right? We, we are challenged by um, the awkwardness and the time and the dedication that it takes. But, but it, you know, if you've ever farmed before, you know that it takes time and it takes sowing and sowing and sowing before the reaping could come. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, he knew this dilemma that we share really, really well. And he wrote something that so articulates at least my experience in my heart. Um, and I'm going to read it out of the uh, book of Romans in the message version. And it says this. Paul writes, how can people call for help if they don't know who to trust? And how can they know who to trust if they haven't heard of the one who can be trusted? And how can they hear if nobody tells them? And how is anyone going to tell them unless someone is sent to do it? That's why the scripture exclaims, and he's quoting this, a sight to take your breath away, grand processions of people telling all of the good things of God. But not everybody is ready for this, ready to see and hear and act. Isaiah asks that we all ask at one time or another, does anyone care, God? Is anyone listening and believing a word of it? And the point is this, before you trust, you have to listen. But unless Christ's word is preached, there is nothing to listen to. I just wonder how many people would, are just dying for life change, dying for um, eternal security, dying for their purpose in life, but there is just no message proclaimed to them. No one is speaking the word of God to them. And that is a tough position. That leaves me, I, I would say, in a pickle, right? Paul is saying, how can they turn their hearts to the one that could be trusted if no one ever tells them about the one that could be trusted? 
A couple of weeks ago, Molly uh, challenged us to be the gospel, right? To be the good news to people in our lives, to live in a way that honors God and points people to God, to, to literally just live out the message of Jesus, to manifest it. The guy that started um, the vineyard, his name was John Wimber, and he talked about being the good news, but he actually said, you can't be the good news if you're the bad news, Right? And what he was saying, like to quote Will Smith, keep God's name out of your mouth if you're an idiot and a jerk out there, right? <laughs> right? You can't be the good news if you are the bad news. And so I love when Christians live in such a way that we reflect the character of God, the goodness of God, the glory of God. But there comes a time when we must, must, must share the message of the gospel to people. We must give it words. There comes a time for us to speak the gospel and even to proclaim the gospel. Jesus said this in Mark. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all of creation. Go into all of the world and preach the gospel to all of creation. Dang it. I wish there's a little wiggle room in that, right? Are you hearing what he's saying to us, right? We must preach the gospel or, or at least share it over coffee at Starbucks, right? And, and probably there's somewhere inside of us saying, I would share it. I just don't want to right now, right? Right? And I get it because we're busy. We're Americans. That means that we're busy, busy doing important things. But I want to ask you in the scheme of what you do, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, how much of what you do is eternal? You have this opportunity to do things that are temporal, temporary, maybe not so important, and you have the opportunity to do things that are sowing seeds for generations, generation after generation after generation, what you say and, and, and do with your friends, how, how you raise your kids. There are eternal things that we get to be a part of. And so um, we, uh, I just want to encourage us to begin to put the gospel on our hearts. And here's the thing, you guys, the very nature of the gospel, right? So the gospel, it means good news, right? It's news. And the point of the gospel is that it was meant to be shared. It was meant to be preached. It was meant to be passed along. That's what we do with news. And I feel like one of the sins of the American church one of our greatest sins is that we are completely self-centered. So often we think that the gospel circuit is complete because we have received it. And the circuit is completed. It's done. I heard the gospel. I took it in. It changed my life. Isn't that good enough? That type of thinking is just a complete anomaly. No, no follower of Jesus in scripture would ever understand that type of a thinking. But that's what we bring to the table. Back in um, Indiana, Molly and I went to school in Indiana. My brother's down there. Uh, my parents live down there most of the year. And um, Indiana has adopted roundabouts, right? You guys know what a roundabout is? Like, thanks driving. Uh, they must have, you know, somebody in Indiana must have visited England or something like that. And they's like, roundabouts, let's do that, right? And roundabouts are really, really great because they keep traffic moving. Once you learn how to merge in, if you don't know how to do it, just watch. 
watch for a minute before you jump in there. But do I have pictures of this or no? Anyway, roundabouts are amazing because you get in and it just shoots traffic everywhere. People are moving with these things, right? And this guy, Ed Stetzer, who is down at uh, Wheaton, he, he is the, he's the director of the Billy Graham uh, Center. And he said this, he said, um, don't let your life be a cul-de-sac on the gospel highway. Don't let your life be a, a cul-de-sac on the gospel highway. What he was saying is that the gospel of Jesus must run through us, but I actually like the image of a roundabout better than a highway, right? I see the gospel just shooting out from us in all of these different places. And I just want to ask you, you guys, has the, the gospel, have you been a roundabout for the gospel? Have people heard the gospel message through your life on a regular basis? Or have you been, I think that honestly that Stetzer was being nice when he called people cul-de-sacs. I would call them a dead end. Have you been a cul-de-sac or a dead end? Or have you been a roundabout for the gospel? Because someone in your life was a roundabout gospeler for you. Someone in your life shared their faith and you received it and it changed your life. It made a difference in your life. And so what are you going to do with it? Jesus said this, peace be with you as the father sends me, so I am sending you. I know we've been talking about this for a few weeks, but do you see yourself as a sent person? Are you on mission for God? Because roundabouts, they are not the definition or the, the destination, right? It's not the point. We don't park there. They're meant to shoot things out, right? And you know, you know how I know that this is what God wants for us? Because the Bible, of how the Bible describes us, the Bible describes us um, in many ways, but I want to give you three ways uh, that the Bible describes us Christians, okay? So there will be a slide for it up there. But the Bible describes us as fishers of men, that's what Jesus said, that we will be fishers of men and women. Um, the Bible describes us as ambassadors, right? We are ambassadors um, uh, calling people to reconciliation with God, which I think is an amazing ministry. And we are called witnesses, right? Witnesses to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and America, right? Or something like that, because we are at the ends of the earth as far as they're concerned. And I was just thinking about these three things that, that Jesus thinks of. When he thinks of you, he thinks of you as an ambassador. He thinks of you as a witness. He thinks of you as a fisher of men. Do you think of yourself that way? And I, I just, I like playing opposites. I like thinking about, well, what would the opposite of, of that, those be? And, you know, thinking about fishers of men, my dad, uh, in his retirement, I, I think, you know, guys that retire, they, they oftentimes they love to fish. And in, in Indiana, my dad has this pond that's literally like 12 feet from his back door. And every morning he'll just, he's got a chair out there and he goes and he casts a line and he sits there in his retirement and he fishes, right? Well, what would the opposite of retirement fishing be? I don't know, shuffleboard maybe, right? And so you could just waste your life playing shuffleboard until you die. Maybe that's the opposite of fishing in retirement. What's the opposite of an ambassador? Well, an ambassador is someone who represents, represents, you know, someone in authority, the, 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 the country that they're from, the government that rules over them, right? An ambassador represents the kingdom of the one that they're sent from. And that's what good ambassadors do. But if what's the opposite of that, maybe it's someone who lives only for themselves, that only represents their own interests, who only does what is important to them. 
that doesn't live for the king and his kingdom. Maybe that's what the opposite of a good ambassador is. And finally, witnesses. Witnesses are people that were a part of something. They experienced something. And then they share the story of what they experienced. And maybe the opposite of that is people that never experienced anything or people that did experience something, but they never bore witness to it. They never shared it with anyone else. And I just want to ask you guys, which of those are you? And what do you want to be? Do you want to fish for men and women? Do you want to be an ambassador of reconciliation? Do you want to bear witness to what God is doing and has done in your life? Who are you and who will you be? Will you live in a way that lasts? Will you do things regularly in your life that will be eternal for someone in your life? I don't want us to be dead ends. And I have to tell you, if I were to be honest, I feel a shifting in this place. We are a church that longs to seek and save the lost. We are a church that loves to share our faith. You guys are doing this all the time. And I, I love it. And I see it growing in you. I see your hearts turning. I hear the stories of what God is doing in you and through you. And it's for me, it's like the most amazing thing in the world. But we still have that pesky issue of what exactly to say because um, we can't just do everything but the gospel, right? Like um, I know that for uh, several weeks ago, we talked about how we can... Um, we can manifest God's love through just being compassionate to people, being encouraging to them, right? We can uh, pray for people, and as we pray for them and they feel God doing something in them, they're going to be like, oh, I wonder if God did that, right? Molly walked us through the BLESS strategies. Anybody remember the BLESS? Right? Bless stands for beginning with prayer. We pray for people that are close to us that we want to see come to faith. And by the way, my own parents came to faith during a time of prayer and fasting. Uh, after being estranged from God for decades and decades. So we begin with prayer. We listen to them. Instead of chattering at people, just talking, shoving stuff down their throats, we endeavor to listen to their story and really care about it. E stands for eat with them. We serve them and we share our own stories with them. That's what Molly encouraged us to do. Haram, last week, he uh, challenged us to have an urgency to carry the gospel. He actually had us write the name of somebody down that we're praying for that we want to see come to faith. And I, I want you guys just to imagine for a moment that you've done all of those things. And maybe some of you guys have done some of those things. And by the way, I understand that we are all in different places. This might be like way out there for some of you. But for some of you, it's like God is doing this and he's calling you to this. But for some of you, you might just say, God, I'm hearing these things and it's sort of shifting something in me. And would you like to come to church, right? Like the safest thing in the world is say, come to church with me and ask a million times, right? Ask a million times. I, um, I, I told you a couple of weeks ago about my friend Scott Light, uh, who's this kid in the army, 18 years old. He led me to Christ. He didn't actually lead me into a relationship with Jesus. He tackled me and he wouldn't let me go until I gave my life to Jesus. I mean, he was all over me. And what was amazing about it, you guys, is this. I met Scott in basic training but I didn't know him very well. And then after basic training, we were sent all over America for our next level of training, right? And lo and behold, this guy that I had just met in basic, he and I were sent to Fort Lee, Virginia, which was a great coincidence. It's like, okay, that's cool. And on the bus to Fort Lee, he started showing me his music, this Christian rock music, which was horrible. 
It was the worst music I had ever heard. He's like, this is awesome. I'm like, you think this is awesome? I got Led Zeppelin for you, bro. You know what I mean? He's like, that's the devil's music. Anyway, anyway, Scott and I get sent out by the U.S. government to Fort Lee, Virginia, where we do our tour of duty. We do our training there. And at the end of that, there's a hundred guys in our company. And from that point on, all the training is done. You're just a regular soldier ready to go. And from that point on, those soldiers get sent all over the world, right? And 98 of the hundred of us were sent to Korea and two of us were sent to Colorado Springs. What are you laughing at? (laughs) Which two were sent to Colorado Springs? I thought, this is a great coincidence. Honestly, this is like, how cool. I get to go to the Springs with my friend. And at that point, as soon as we got to Colorado Springs, Scott started inviting me to church. Every week, he would invite me to church. He probably asked me to come to church with him no fewer than a dozen times. And I finally agreed to go to church with him only to get him off my back. I was like, if I go with you, will you leave me alone? And he's like, yes, but I knew he was lying. But he invites me to church, and I show up at a church just like this, and it freaked me out because I grew up Catholic, right? And so this place was bright, and it was loud, and everybody was in my face, and I'm like, just back off. I need some room. And, but they loved us. And I was an 18-year-old kid in the army. And these people showed us the love of Jesus. And I needed it so bad. The reason I was in the military is because I was a wreck of a human being. I had screwed up everything. And that's what people in the army were basically back then. And that's what I was. And I just sucked up the love of God in these super weird people. They were weird, but they were loving and they were kind and they gathered us up and they loved us. And I fell in love with Jesus. It takes tenacity. It takes pressing in, persistence. And so that's what I want to encourage us to do. But I want to talk about what do we say? Awkward conversations. What do they need to know? And so just picture that you've done all of that work and you've got a person that's sitting in front of you and they're like, I, I think there might be something to this, but what do I, what's the thing? What do I need to know? Well, tell me about it, right? What is the gospel? And so what we're going to do is we're just going to get really, really practical. I'm going to walk you through what the gospel is. And what I want you to do is I want you to get a piece of paper or get your phone out. Don't check fantasy football, Paul and Rick. Um, but get your phone out or get a notepad out. And um, I want you to write some things down, okay? And I, this is for, for your memory so that you can remember this. But the first thing I want to say about the gospel is this. Here's the first thing. Jesus himself is the gospel. Jesus himself is the good news. And whenever you hear the gospel referred to in scripture, almost always, this is important, almost always, you're going to hear the gospel of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus over and over and over again, because the good news isn't the good news unless it is a pathway to experiencing this person in Jesus. 
That's what makes the good news so good. And so um, in Romans chapter 15, 1 Corinthians 9, 2 Corinthians 2, chapter 10, Galatians 1, they all refer to the gospel as the gospel of Christ because it's a pathway to Jesus. And even more specifically, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the gospel is referred to as the gospel of the glory of Christ. Even more wonderfully, Paul, when he preached the gospel, he talks about the unsearchable riches of Christ, the unsearchable riches of Jesus. And what makes the gospel so amazing is that there will be no end to the joy that we will experience as we get to know Jesus, both in life now and into eternity. He's the most amazing thing in the world, far more amazing than we could possibly realize. When I was up here listening to the, to the church worship, we got some decibels going in here. It was awesome. And I couldn't help but think, we don't know the half of it yet. We don't even know the half of it yet. So that's the first thing that I want us to know is that the gospel points to Jesus. Jesus himself is the good news. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you the gospel in five words. And I want you to write these words down. And my challenge to you is that you will remember them so that you can know at any point if someone says, What's this thing all about? You'll go, I got five words. And you'll remember those words and you'll be able to share the gospel in a really, really good way. But this isn't just for us who have already uh, given our lives to Jesus to share. I want those of you that have never like made a commitment to God, those of you that are on the fence about him, those of you that aren't sure about this thing, listen to what um, I'm going to share with you guys today, and I ask you to consider it, to take it to heart, okay? So here's our first word. The first word that I want you to write down is glory. Glory, okay? Now, glory, let me... Here's the deal about glory. God created us for his glory. That's the first thing, and it's probably the most important thing. And so Isaiah says this, this is God speaking, bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my, whom I created for my glory. We were created for God's glory. He made us in his own image so that we could and would reflect his character, so that we could and would reflect his heart and his love and his care and his compassion. We were created for a purpose to glorify him. First Corinthians says this, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And how do we glorify God, you guys? By the way that we live, right? The way that we love him, the way that we trust him. We are called to be thankful for him, to obey him, to treasure him above all things. You were created to glorify God. Is that something that you think about? Does your life reflect his goodness? That's the first thing. Everything that we do, we do because he created us to honor and glorify him. That's the beginning. The second word is this. So the first word is what? The second word is sin. This is the gospel message. The second word is sin. Nevertheless, we have all sinned and fallen short of God's purpose for us. We have fallen short of glorifying him. We do not glorify him. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Paul writes 
In Romans chapter 1, he said, although they knew God, they didn't honor him as God or give thanks to him. That's what is proper. That's what we're called to do. It's what we're made for. And they exchanged the glory of God. Uh, uh, they exchanged the glory of immortal God for images, of the immortal God for images. In other words, they started worshiping trinkets instead of honoring God, Right? That's sin. And I have, I don't know if anybody has ever said this to you, but I have had uh, many times where someone has said to me, I, if there's a heaven, I'm pretty sure I'm going because I'm a good person, right? I'm a good person. And I, 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 here's what I normally say. Well, it depends on what you're comparing your good to. If you're comparing your good to me, well, then you're just terrible. No, I don't say, <laughs> I do not say that. <laughs> I say, if, you, if you're comparing yourself to me, you're probably great. You're fine. If you compare yourself to your friends, you're fine. But if you compare yourself to the one who is perfect, if you, um, if you realize that you were actually created to glorify God and not yourself, well, then your track record is lacking. You're not as good as you thought you were. Right, and so um, so we have all sinned, and we have fallen short of honoring and glorifying God. So we we are created for His glory, and then we have sinned against Him. And one of the things I tell people is that you know whatever your standard of goodness is, you don't even live by it yourself. You break your own rules, right? You can't even live to the standard that you have. You know, it's like we constantly are letting ourselves down. And so it's very difficult to say that we're good enough for whatever God has, you know, for eternal life or heaven or something like that. So the first word is glory. Second one is sin. You ready for the third word? It's a tough one. Punishment. The third word is punishment. Therefore, we all deserve eternal punishment. Here's what Romans says. The wages, the payment of sin is eternal death, but the free, and this is key, and we'll get to this in a second, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. There will be punishment with eternal destruction, Paul writes, forever. Uh, they, they will be punished with eternal destruction, forever separated from the Lord and from his glorious power. Our sin, it's not just that we like did a white lie somewhere. It's not just that we got a little bit nasty with our spouse. It's that we have lived in total rebellion. Because we lived for ourselves. We lived for our own glory. We did not try to glorify God. We didn't live out our purpose. And so we are deserving of this punishment. The gospel message is that it began with us being created to glorify God, but then we messed it up, we sinned, and that there is punishment for betraying God, for not living for him. And we deserve that punishment. And thank God he didn't live, leave us there because he could have. We were worthy of that, of that punishment. But instead, he pours out our fourth word. You ready for the fourth word? It is mercy. The fourth word is mercy. Write that down. Yet in his great mercy and love, God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, into the world to provide for us, for sinners, the way of eternal life, okay? And when I talk about eternal life, what I want us to know, you guys, is that we're not just talking about how to get into heaven. That is such a, a shell of what the gospel is. The gospel is being reconciled to God now, glorifying God now, having intimate, joyful purpose and connection with God now, 
and into eternity. Jesus said he came that we would have abundant life. And he wasn't referring to getting into heaven. What he was referring to is a whole changed life, a life with purpose, a life that's greater than we are, that is abundant and joyful and powerful and impactful, both now and forever. Our fourth word is mercy. Would you guys read that top verse with me? John three sixteen. So loved the world that he gave his that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You are so deeply loved by God. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He stepped into our place and he was the one that was cursed and he took the curse off of us. Christ also suffered once for sins, the right for the unrighteous that he might bring us to God. There's the reconciliation. God was and is and will always be a God of mercy, a God of compassion, who longs for a relationship with his kids. He wants to pour out his mercy on us. That is the story of the, of the gospel, that he is a merciful God saying, please let me love you. Let me pour out my mercy upon you. So our story is a story of glory and sin, and then punishment, and then mercy. And then finally, the gospel story takes us to our last word, and that word is faith. Write down faith, you guys. Therefore, eternal life is a free gift to all who will trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior and friend. Let me read that again because I butchered it. Therefore, eternal life is a free gift to all who will trust in Jesus as Lord and as Savior and as friend. The author of Acts, uh, John, he wrote this. uh, Well, this is Jesus speaking. He said this, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus. and Oh, that was was actually uh, Paul saying that, but that's in Acts. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Romans chapter 10 says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then finally, and this is one of my favorites in all of scripture, Ephesians chapter two says this, by grace, by unmerited mercy, by undeserved favor, by grace, you have been saved through what? Faith, Faith, through your trust, through your faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not the result of works that no one may boast. God is going out of his way to say, You don't have to strive to be good enough. You can never be good enough. He's going out of his way to say the only way into relationship with Jesus, into eternal life with God, is through trust, through putting our faith in Jesus, putting our trust in him. That is the only way to him. We must believe in Jesus as creator. We must believe in Jesus as God, Jesus as man, Jesus as suffering savior, Jesus as victor over sin and death and hell and everything else that has ever separated us from God. And so it's through our faith, it's through our trust, it is not through your works that we could be saved for eternity. And one thing that people have often um, been challenged by is how can I know? How can I know? I mean, if you've been walking with the Lord for a really long time, you're probably pretty assured. But people that are newer to faith or outside of faith, they're always wondering, how can I know if I'm actually saved, if I'm actually in? How can I know if my loved ones are actually in? And what I I always tell people is I, I just say, just imagine that you were a parent. 
Um, imagine if you were a mother or a father. Would you want your kids to be constantly questioning whether or not you love them? Would you constantly, would you want them to be constantly doubting whether or not they're secure in your love? You see, the whole point of the gospel, the whole point of these verses is that God wants us to be assured. He wants us to know that we know that we know that he has loved us with what the Bible says is an everlasting love. We can't get out from underneath his love. We can't escape it. Well, we can choose against it. We can say no to it. But once we have decided, once we're in, we are in. And so this is our story, church. Glory, sin, punishment, mercy, and faith. So I was hoping, you guys, that I could make like a cool acronym, like TEAM or something like that, but I've got GISPUMPF. It doesn't totally roll off the tongue, but you're going to have to memorize the words. And so here's the statement in full. God created us for his glory. Nevertheless, we sinned and we deserved punishment, but in his mercy, God sent Jesus to freely provide sinners a way to eternal life through faith in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, here's the deal. I'm just going to be completely real with you guys. I think that at the end of the day, what is going to matter far more than how articulate you are or well-versed you are with a gospel message, that's not the battle that I actually need to win up here. The battle that we are all fighting is for us to show up and share just to open our mouths and love someone, to open our mouths and share the gospel as well or poorly as we do it. That is the deal. I want to challenge us to tenacity. I want to challenge us to see ourselves differently, to see ourselves as fishers of men, as ambassadors, as witnesses to something that has changed our lives. Listen, the gospel message is, is everything. But I would rather you get up there and stumble through some incoherent message with someone and just love them and do the best that you can. And we can sort the rest of it out later. If we can, if God can win hearts, the day is won. Does that make sense to you guys? That's the prayer right where you're at. And I want you to know that if you are a person that is not experienced with God, if you're far from him, if you're still checking him out, if you're doubting, I want you to know that that Jesus has changed my life. Like I can never describe to you what he has done in my life. I was not a Christian. I had other things in mind, other goals in mind. And there are so many people in your life who have found their lives completely turned upside down in the best possible way because they met and experienced the love and the mercy of Jesus. And they're not crazy. They're not crazy people, that we are thoughtful people who have given our lives to Christ. And so if you are a person that is on the fence, I just want to invite you into connection with God. Why don't we stand up? Take those words home. Memorize them. If you commit those to memory, you'll be able to share the gospel. You'll be able to do it. And it's my prayer that you will be a roundabout Christian. That you won't be a dead end. That you won't be a parking lot. That the message will go through you. 
So Lord Jesus, I, um, I thank you for the privilege, um, the honor of being able to, to preach the gospel this morning. I thank you for the privilege and the honor of being loved by you, of being a child of yours, of being protected by you, cared for by you. I thank you for how you healed Umberto, Lord, how you do just these crazy, amazing things. And I pray, Lord, that you would um, turn this church into a roundabout church, a church where the gospel is being sent all over the place. And I pray, Lord, that you would like kind of quicken some of our hearts and that you would give us a, a, a Scott Light tenacity, that tenacity that just won't let go, that just invites over and over and over again. And you guys, I just want to say Thanksgiving is coming up. Christmas is coming up. And my prayer is that you will get a friend and bring them into this place where they can experience the Lord. And Lord, I pray your blessing on anybody that is um, on the fence, that is not sure about you. And I just pray that you would touch their heart, that you would invite them into a connection with you. Just between you and them, Lord. Not doesn't have anything to do with me. But I just bless, Holy Spirit, your work um, in their lives too.